Welcome to The Vital Point. I'm your host, Jonathan Schechter. If you're interested in different methods and ways to transform your life, like plant medicines and psychedelics, breathwork, meditation, somatic practices, cold exposure, and so many more that we've talked about on this show, then my friends, you are in the right place. This podcast is not just for practitioners. It's also for you if you're new to transformational work and you're looking for more information and direction. The reason I chose the name The Vital Point is to highlight the most important secret to actually changing your life, regardless of the method or modality that interests you. Are you ready to hear it? The vital point is that you have to practice. You can't just listen or read about transformation. And most of the time, you're not going to have some sort of one-time life-changing event. Real transformation is a process. I started this podcast to spotlight incredible leaders and practitioners who have experienced their own transformation and have been called to share their passion and mission with others so that you can benefit as well. If you're new to this type of work, welcome. I'm your host, Jonathan Schechter. I'm an integration and transformation coach, breathwork facilitator, been meditating for 19 years, and recently began teaching mindfulness. Breathwork and a lot of the other modalities and resources I talk about on this show are tools that I discovered when I was at my lowest, going through my own transformational journey. I know how much change they can actually bring because I've experienced it myself. I've experienced the transformation that comes from working, practicing, and integrating these experiences, these practices. My intention is not only to entertain, but that something that you hear on this podcast sparks the fire of your own change. When you do feel called to learn more, please send me or the guests a message. We are all here to grow together and support each other. And I hope you enjoy today's episode of the show. This episode is all about one of my favorite transformational practices and one that I've been doing the longest, meditation. It's a great place to start if you're new to meditation and have ever been curious about it and maybe have felt overwhelmed about where to begin or felt like you just can't do it, which is a common thing that uh, I hear from clients. They feel like they can't meditate or that there's something wrong with them because they're not able to settle their mind down or they sit down to meditate and they just notice a whole lot of mental activity. They notice their mind going in 18 different directions. And, um, you know, that's a common feeling and it's definitely not a reason that you should, uh, prevent yourself from trying meditation. So my guest on this episode is Jimmy Whiteman. He's known as that meditation guy on Instagram. He's a meditation teacher and a pretty wonderful person. And I really enjoyed getting to know him a bit, learning more about his story and his meditation practice on this episode of the podcast. We talked about the similarities in our journeys and how we found meditation, um, had some interesting similarities, you know, both of us 
had this common experience of being involved in the clubbing and dance music scene before discovering meditation and about being able to get deeper into our minds in a more connected way than um, the clubbing experience was allowing us to do. Shocking, I know. Jimmy shared how his curiosity with mindfulness eventually led him to find a teacher who taught him meditation in the Vedic tradition, which entails using a mantra, and that was where he found his meditation home. So we get into that. We also talked about getting started on the meditation path, some of the common experiences and challenges that people often have when starting and how to navigate those. We talked about how meditation calms the nervous system and the impact of that to our meditation experience. We also talked about the meditation experience expanding off of the mat um, outside of our normal sitting practice as the practice progresses and how that's a motivator to keep practicing. And that's really something that, uh, you know, for me is a motivator for why I practice is, you know, it's one thing when you sit down and you concentrate on your breath or you're using a mantra or some other type of meditation for, you know, five, 10, 20 minutes a day. But it's another thing when you start to experience the benefits of that meditation off of the mat and uh, outside of your normal sitting practice. And for me, that's like, oh, wow. When I started to experience that, it was like, made me want to practice more, you know. Jimmy was kind enough to offer a simple meditation practice that you can use as well. So he goes into that. Um, It's around minute 43 or 44, somewhere in there. Um, But I would definitely recommend checking out the whole podcast interview. It's uh, really interesting and um, got into some really good juicy material. So if you're interested in learning more about meditation, definitely check out this episode and um, check out Jimmy's website to learn more about his offerings and about meditation. So enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Vital Point Podcast. If you are curious or practicing different transformational practices uh, from psychedelics to breath work and of course meditation, then you are in the right place, my friends. My guest today is Jimmy Whiteman. He goes on Instagram as uh, that meditation guy. And I'm really excited to welcome him to the podcast today to talk about one of my favorite topics, meditation. And uh, meditation is one of my favorite topics because it really helped open the door to a lot of other transformational practices. It was really the first thing that I discovered almost 20 years ago and has uh, brought me to the present moment which is um, a fantastic gift, something that I'm intensely grateful for. And I'm just excited to uh, chat with Jimmy today about that. So Jimmy, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So why don't we start by um, just talking about your story and about how you found meditation? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to. Um, So I always say that my journey really starts 
back in my early 20s when I got into the party scene in the UK, the clubbing and DJing scene, which might sound a little bit strange, but it was that partying lifestyle that I kept up for a number of years that led me to have some mental health problems that eventually led me to looking for a solution to those problems, which were insomnia and bouts of depression. And that's what made me start looking for meditation. Well, actually, no, it made me look for a solution and meditation kept coming up as a, a possible way to treat insomnia and depression that had some science behind it. Um, because back in those days, the way I was thinking, you know, it would never have occurred to me to go to a therapist or anything like that. Had a very kind of macho attitude to that whole thing, I guess, something to do with the way I was brought up and maybe just the attitude in the UK. Um, and meditation appealed to me because it was something that I could do on my own quietly. It might, you know, make sense that if I could sort my mind out, maybe I'd be able to sleep. And if I could sleep, I wouldn't feel so terrible all the time and I'd just get my life together. So that's how it started. And like a lot of people, I just kind of, uh, started exploring in a very normal way, you know, buying uh, how to sleep meditation CDs, <laughs> mindfulness, you know, uh, videos on YouTube, that kind of thing. And I had a little bit of success sometimes. There might be one night where it worked and I got myself to sleep and then the next night it wouldn't. Um, but at some point I realized, look, this isn't working. I think there is something to this meditation thing, but I'm gonna have to go much deeper. And that's when I signed up for a mindfulness course, which is the first thing that I did, a classroom-based mindfulness course. And that was eight weeks. I went through that. It was really good. I, I learned some ways to understand my mind, and I definitely calmed my nervous system down a bit. But after the course was finished, I found that I didn't stick to it. And also I found that my insomnia problem events slowly sort of came back, and I started I picked up the drinking again because I used to drink very heavily and I cut that out while I was doing the course but slowly but surely that came back and I found I fell into my old ways and so I went looking for what else was out there meditation wise and I came across something on the internet that said this woman locally to me was teaching something called Vedic meditation and the website said it was all very scientific and I thought okay I like the sound of that so I went along and <laughs> now, bear in mind, at the, at the time, the thought of anything spiritual was massively off-putting for me. I was really against all that because I was brought up Catholic. I rejected it all. I had monks at my school and I just thought, ah, they don't know anything, you know, uh, like teenagers do. And so I went along to this because I thought it also seemed scientific, like the mindfulness course. But once I got there, I found it was it had a very strong spiritual element. The teacher was singing a song in Sanskrit and lighting joysticks, and there was a picture of a guru on the wall and I didn't know who that was. It wasn't really explained. And next minute we were bowing to the guru. Now, years later, I understand that this is a puja ceremony. It's a very normal thing in India. It's a way to pay respect to this person who is pivotal in bringing this knowledge uh, into the current time. So, now it all makes sense, but at the time I was thinking, what's going on here, you know, what am I doing? But once all that calmed down, and once we all sat down and she started teaching us the technique, she gave us a mantra and showed us how to use it and answered questions. And over the next four days, we learned how to meditate in this ancient style from the Himalayas. And 
it just worked for me. It was kind of what I was looking for. It gave me that ability to calm and quiet my mind in a way that didn't feel like I was training my mind or forcing my mind. It just seemed to soothe my mind into a calm and quiet place and my body relaxed. And after, I'm not sure if it was on day three or if it was the last day, but on one of those sessions, I, I went home and I went to bed at like 9 p.m. and just slept fully through the deepest sleep I think I've ever had. I woke up the next day at 6 a.m. just full of energy and I just thought, this is it. I don't know what this is. I don't know what it's doing to me, but I'm not going to give this up. I'm going to keep going. If I can sleep like this every night, that's enough. <laughs> I got my money's worth. Um, so that's how it that's what got me motivated. I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it because I was scared to lose the results of the, uh, the sleeping problem and the depression certainly was kind of gone um, as a result of that as well because I guess that was tied into the sleeping problems. And after a while, after a couple of years, I started to think, well, hang on a minute. Those problems are solved now. But my motivation started to change from I'm doing this to solve my problems to how deep does this go? What other things could I do? How good could this get? And that's when I signed up for my first retreat. And that on that retreat was when I've learned a lot more information about where this comes from in India and the historical and spiritual background. And it got very interesting to me then. Um, and so slowly but surely I started to move away from thinking the spiritual stuff was all nonsense to thinking, oh, I think there's something here, you know, because the way I was brought up um, in, the, in the religious sort of uh, Catholic way, I was always told you're supposed to have faith. You believe this because we're telling you to believe it. And I thought, oh, hang on, these people in the East have a different view. They say, this is how it is, but here's a practice, go and find out for yourself. And I thought, oh, I like that. Um, so slowly but surely, I started reading these old texts, you know, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali and the Bhagavad Gita, and I started to see, ah, okay, right, there's a common thread here. They're working with the mind and consciousness, and some of these ancient ideas actually seem to have some correlates in modern science, and that really got me interested. And so that's a, that's a, a short version of what I, <laughs> how it all came about. I love that. I, I can relate to your story in so many different ways. I mean, even from, from some mundane details, you know, like before I found meditation and, and Buddhism, I was trying to break into the LA rave scene as a DJ. I was, <laughs> I was living with, uh, you know, a pretty popular um, local DJ that was playing out, you know, usually five or six times a week and going out with him to every show and um so yeah when i <laughs> when i found uh meditation i had a similar experience of you know reading in this book um you know i was i was raised jewish but similar in terms of like i i was turned off by the the approach that uh, for religion the way that i was brought up and what appealed to me was that here was this this man you know a couple thousand years ago that said don't believe anything that I'm saying because of who I am. Go and try it for yourself. And if it works for you, great. Like you'll, you'll want to do more of it because of how it works. And that completely appealed to me. And so I started practicing 
And lo and behold, it started working. And so it, that made me more interested and it made me want to learn more and explore more and actually continue to meditate more. And um, so, yeah, I can, I can really relate to a lot of different aspects of your story there. And I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, that's so interesting that we both had, we both came from that kind of wild partying lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for me, it was like, there was a point where I was doing both at the same time. And I felt like my meditation practice was taking over that other lifestyle. It was really showing me, it was letting me sit with the dissatisfaction that I had about everything, you know, in that scene and, and the way that I had to behave the person that I feel like you know, I always felt like I had to put on this mask. Um, I couldn't really be myself. You know, I certainly wasn't being um, like a very good person, um, especially to, you know, women that I was trying to pick up on and, and things like that. You know, there, you had to have this persona to, you know, so that, that they wouldn't walk all over you. And as I began to meditate, I was like, wow, like I really don't like doing this. I hate, this person that I have to become to be in this role and this, uh, this mask that I have to put on and I don't want to do it anymore. You know? So like, I always, I always think of it as like, a if, if I looked at a graph, you know, um, or a chart and meditation started on the bottom of one end and started going up and then like the raving lifestyle started at the top of that <laughs> end and was going down and somewhere in the middle because of meditation, they met. And then once, once they met in that spot, it was like, okay, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. You know, I, I'm, I much rather prefer the, these things that I'm doing now. Um, and it, it's making me feel better. I'm learning things about myself. I, I feel more calm. Um, and then also, uh, you know, relating to that first experience with a teacher, as I practiced uh, Zen meditation for a while, and then somehow I, I was going to a Zen center that had some monks and nuns that were living, you know, in the center. And even though the majority of them were were Zen, there was this one Tibetan uh, Buddhist nun that was living there. And for whatever reason, I started taking uh, some classes with her. You know, she had like a weekly meditation group. And I loved it because sometimes I would be the only one there and, and I would really get to ask her questions. And that sparked my, my interest to explore the Tibetan traditions. But I remember being in that first teaching, you know, with, with, a, with a Lama, with a, you know, a, a realized, you know, master and just feeling like, what the heck did I get myself into? Like, <laughs> you know, everything was, was strange. I was, you know, I was used to Zen meditation and sort of the austerity and the straightforwardness of that. And here there was all these colors and all these deities and all this ritual that I just had no idea about. And um, luckily there was somebody sitting next to me so at, at, at the end of um, the beginning or end of Tibetan Buddhist teachings. The tradition is that you offer um, a silk scarf to the, the teacher, you know, and it's a sign of respect, right? And just uh, a way to connect. And all these people were walking up and waiting in line. And 
the there was a guy sitting next to me and he looked at me and he just kind of went first time <laughs> and, and i said yeah and he, he said yeah I, I could tell you know you look a little lost and he explained it to me and he said would you like to borrow my scarf and i said yeah thank you and i was so i remember being so freaked out just walking up because this this teacher had a very um he's very stern and he was very like he had this this his his aura or you know his like uh his just his being was very powerful you know he, i now i understand like he did a lot of wrathful deity practice and he really embodied this you know this very masculine stern um person but like walking up i was I was scared to death, you know, <laughs> my knees were shaking and I didn't know what the heck was going to happen. Um, but, you know, that led one to another, to another, to another. And, you know, it really kind of helped me find where I felt comfortable and, and my home um, within meditation practice and within a tradition. So, yeah, just I love I love hearing your story. You know, there's so much there I can relate to. Well, yeah, you said something interesting um, when you were talking about how your partying and clubbing lifestyle made you feel like you were putting on a mask and you, you realized when you started meditating that um, that wasn't what you wanted to do. My experience was a little bit different, you see, because when I used to go clubbing and partying with my friends, the reason I was so into it was because I felt like it was a place where I could be free because we were mm. we were so into the music and all the rest of it that when uh, you know like with that kind of music that's very very repetitive you can just completely lose your sense of self on the dance floor and you know completely lose your sense of time sense of the moment sense of all of your problems you know it's you you can have a kind of momentary ego death on a dance floor <laughs> definitely and i never thought of it in those terms at the time i just thought oh, i'm having a great time you know we go there to have a good time and then when I learned this kind of meditation, I realized, oh, actually, I was having transcendent experiences before on the dance floor. Um, unfortunately, I was just paying quite a heavy price for them the next few days while, right. the, you know, the partying and the after parties all wore off. Um, whereas I can have transcendent experiences just self-generated sitting at home with my eyes closed. And at first, that really appealed to me because I was like a lot of people, I got kind of attached to the getting high aspect of meditation that you can have, especially early on. And then over time, that starts to wear off a little bit and you realize, oh, okay, there's more to this than just um, clearing out the stress and giving yourself a little mini high. And <laughs> um, But yeah, I did notice that there's something about the repetitive nature of that techno music that I was into and still kind of like, and you, how you use a mantra or in your tradition, there's probably a lot of chanting and that can it, it facilitates a similar thing. Even in like African tribes and things, they do drumming and things like that. Again, it's to take your thinking mind out of the picture and to have a experience beyond the thinking mind. And I, yeah, I find that so fascinating that in cultures all over the world, we find ways to get out of the thinking mind. Yeah. So, yeah, so... Uh, so you're saying that you 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 really connected to that aspect of the clubbing experience. You really liked that um, sort of being really like a, in a state of of oneness. You know, you were really in the present moment. You really connected to what's happening. You were able to like just be there 
in the present. And that was one of the things that appealed to you about that clubbing. However, <laughs> what you're realizing afterwards is like the, it sort of wore off and the, the side effects, let's say of, of, you know, being, putting yourself into that state um, were not desirable. And meditation was this way of like a much more wholesome way of, you know, like, oh, I can, I can feel this way without um, being, you know, on a dance floor or taking some sort of, uh, you know, substance to assist me to getting to that state. Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then even from a neurobiological standpoint, that makes sense because yeah. when you do meditate, you do release certain uh, happy hormones into the brain and bloodstream, which are very similar to ones that you can get in a clubbing environment or be it <laughs> artificially brought on. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you, you said something a minute ago that I think I'd like to pull the thread on a little bit because it's something that I hear a lot and I'm sure it, you as well um, with, with students and people that you're working with. Um, you know, you said something about in the, in the beginning, there's often a lot of, uh, you know, euphoria or a lot of, um, you know, sort of blissful elements to meditation. And, and that is, um, you know, uh, that appeals to a lot of people. Um, so what do you, how do you teach that that's not everything that meditation is, you know, or like, uh, when when people kind of come to you and they're having a hard time, you know, like the I think that's sort of the flip side of it, right? Is you know, well, my mind is too busy, or you know, I sat down and all this stuff started happening, and I started having this this, this challenge, you know, like I feel like I can't do this. You know, what what's your approach to teaching there in terms of how you communicate? So it usually works quite nicely because when I teach, I normally teach groups of about between 15 and 20 so um, you get a broad range of experience within a group that big normally so you'll get some people who are really blissed out who just say oh you know it just works so well I just close my eyes and I don't have any thoughts for 20 minutes and it's just a uh, delicious nothing and I come out and I feel amazing you know and then you get a couple of other people who say it was really difficult because I was, you know, I went into the meditation and I did exactly what you said, but then I started having these old memories from childhood coming up and these difficult um, emotions and things like that. And so it's really nice because you get, you, everybody gets to see the full spectrum when you've got a big group like that and you're asking questions. Now, the ones who struggle mainly need to be, um, just shown that what's coming up, the fact that they're re-experiencing re some difficult emotions, some unconscious material is coming to the surface, that's actually a good thing. It's not good in your subjective experience, you're not having a blissful meditation, but what's happening is your body is calming down so much, it's relaxing so much that it feels safe enough to say, oh, okay, let's deal with some stuff that I've been suppressing and holding on to. And so some old emotions that have been held in the body, which weren't properly, fully, clearly experienced when they originally happened, based on whatever the event was, those old emotions and old thoughts and feelings may start to come up to the surface and you'll re-experience them. And so people are meditating and suddenly for no reason, some tears start coming. 
or some worries or some fears. And they just have to recognize that this is all part of the cleansing process. It's absolutely fine. It's completely normal. And it's just better out than in, essentially. And so when I teach people, I get them to do 20 minutes twice a day. We don't make it too extreme. So they're not like purging stress too much so they can still <laughs> deal with the kids and the jobs and their lives. Um, and that's, in, that's okay for most people. There are some people that purge too hard too soon because maybe they have no meditation experience. They've never even done yoga. They've never had therapy. Suddenly you put them in this state and it's too much. Those people, I can usually deal with it by maybe giving them some mindfulness practice at the beginning just to get them into a space where they can actually just sit there and be still. And once they've mastered that, I can get them on the mantra and keep the mantra session short. So maybe for them, just 10 minutes a day until they're comfortable with that and then we can move it up. So there's always a way to work with it. There's always a way around it, but mostly it's about telling people or explaining to people and letting them see that just because they think it's supposed to be quiet and blissful and all the rest of it, um, just because that's ideal doesn't mean that's how it will always be. But however it is, is completely fine for you in the moment because that's what the mind-body system needs. Regardless of what you want, that's what the mind-body system wants to do in that moment. So we just have to go with it. Surrender, surrender, surrender. Let it happen, let it happen and it will all just work itself out. That's the way it's seen in this style of meditation. So it's not a style of meditation where we're training the mind quite. It's more like finding a way to give the mind the space it needs to calm down naturally, which will trigger the body into the same relaxation, which will trigger this whole process of moving stress out of the system. Unprocessed emotions get processed. Yeah, I love, I love that. And I can really relate. That's similar to, you know, what I talk about, uh, especially within breath work, you know, it's just that framing of this is a wonderful opportunity that your your body feels safe enough to let go of the stuff that it's holding on to. Um, you know, even if it is uncomfortable, even if it's not what you expected, um, it's important just to be able to, to sit with it and, um, and let it go because the things that we hold on to and we're not willing to let go of will continue to come up and will continue to manifest in these different ways until we're actually able to, to let them go. So, yeah, I love that. And then the other thing, I, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was, when you were talking, I was thinking of, um, there's a, uh, Theravada um, Buddhist teacher um, named uh, Bonte G. And mm. he has these wonderful like beginner mindfulness books. And, and one, of the, one of his quotes that I really love, and I'll, I'll butcher it, so I'm just going to you know, sort of paraphrase. But he basically says, you know, when you sit down and you start to meditate, you realize like how absolutely crazy your mind is. <laughs> And how like how out of control, how scary it actually is in there. But don't worry about it. It's always been like that. You're just noticing it for the first time. <laughs> and, and, and everybody's mind is like that. You know, it's just it's just the matter of paying attention to it that is giving you this experience. And, you know, so just be gentle with yourself, be patient and, you know, take it a breath at a time. <laughs> yeah yeah I, I know that quote yeah i think that's in mindfulness from 
mindfulness in plain English. Yeah, it's a great Yeah, point. yeah. Um, it's a good point, actually, because then when I learned the Vedic meditation with the mantra, which is what I now teach, it did actually put me into a place where I could now go back and try mindfulness again. And the experience was completely different because I had calmed my nervous system down and got myself into a place where mindfulness was no longer a struggle. It's a complete joy for me now. So I, I struggled with mindfulness initially because I just couldn't quite get my nervous system into a place where I could, I could sit and I could get any pleasure out of it. Um, so it always felt like a bit of a struggle, but now it's the complete opposite. It's, uh, <laughs> I could just sit for hours if I had the time <laughs> every single day. Um, so yeah, I love how these styles of meditation complement each other. And I find it hilarious when I'm on Instagram and people um, make comments or start arguments about which one is the best. It makes no sense to me. Right, right. <laughs> All I was ways of getting to the same place. Exactly. Yes. Different, different paths to the same peak. Um, yeah, I was, I, I was watching a video that I had done a couple of years ago when I was first starting to get on Instagram and I was talking about uh, meditation and the, the part of it that stuck out to me was, you know, I was talking about how people say to me like, Oh, I don't have time to meditate or, you know, I, I just can't quiet my mind. I can't do these things. And, you know, I said, does anybody ever say, well, I can't exercise because I can't deadlift 400 pounds right now. Or, you know, I can't do, I can't do math because I don't know how to do calculus. You know, it's all a process and it's all a, a you know, you, you learn incrementally and um, you start where you are and then build from that. You know, even, even the guys in the gym that are, you know, lifting 400 pounds, they didn't start that way. They didn't walk in that, that way that, the first day. So it's just, it, it's always been um, something that's made me laugh a little bit about how certain things we accept that with. We say, oh, of course I have to um, eat a certain way and, you know, take time and, and devote time to my, my weightlifting practice, for instance. Or, yeah, I started in school with arithmetic and multiplication and I went to algebra and geometry and now I can do calculus. But with this, for some reason, with meditation, it's like, oh, no, like, I can't do that because my, I can't get my mind quiet or, you know, I sit down and everything starts going, you know, mad in there. And, and no, I'm just going to give up. <laughs> well, yeah, I completely agree, because I think for a lot of people, we've been told that we have to be productive and that our worth is based on how productive we are. So sitting quietly, doing nothing for 20 minutes, or if it's you do it twice a day, 20 minutes twice a day. That's a big chunk of people's time. So I, I do get where they're coming from. But I always yeah. say it's about like the ROI, basically. If I can give you a practice where you genuinely feel a big impact in your life and you, you feel there is a return on that 20 minutes, then you'll, you'll do it. And you, you suddenly the excuses will go away. You know, I've never come across one of my friends who said, oh, you know, I haven't meditated. I haven't showered for the last three months because I can't put it in. But people will say that about meditation. So you'll, you'll find the time for those things when they're really important and they really mean something to you. Um, so that's what I find with this kind of meditation, actually, is that people do tend to have a quite a good experience quite early on. Or if they don't have a good experience, they have a, a powerful enough experience to believe that it's working. 
you know? Um, so the stick rate's much higher with this than some other styles of meditation, I think, because of that factor. They're not questioning whether or not it's working early on. Hmm. Yeah, I can relate to that. For me, I think one of the one of the aha moments early on was where I started to notice the impact it was having on me outside of my, you know, outside of the mat, you know, outside of my formal sitting practice, you know, all of a sudden no, noticing a thought beginning to arise where months ago, weeks ago, whatever it was, I would have immediately, there wouldn't have been any pause between the thought arising and it flying out of my mouth. And all of a sudden here is this little, this little teeny bit of time and I could observe it and go, Oh wait, this is exactly what happens when I'm meditating and I'm like noticing my thoughts and, you know, having it start to occur off of the mat really inspired me to like, okay, this is really working and I need to really focus on this and, and devote time to it because this is powerful. It's, it's changing, it's changing my mind and it's changing the way that I'm relating to myself, relating to others, relating to the environment. And, and I really like it. <laughs> so I, I want to do more of it, you know? Yeah. Quite often people say to me, I say, what, what's, are you feeling the benefits in your life outside of the practice? And they'll say, Oh yeah, definitely. And I'll say, what are those benefits? And quite often the phrase people use is, unbothered. I just feel really unbothered by things <laughs> that used to annoy me. Um, or they give specific stories like, oh, my husband did this thing and normally I'd fly into a rage, but I just didn't feel like it. Uh, I just let it go. And I'm like, yeah, it's just, you weren't a bad person before. You weren't choosing your reactions before. It's just that you have a different nervous system now. Your nervous system is in a completely different place. There was less stress hormones in your bloodstream. There's more sort of happy hormones, so to speak, <laughs> in your bloodstream. Right. And so you can respond in that way. Um, and then if you bring mindfulness into it as well, mindfulness actually trains you in the way that you explain, where you can um, work with what's arising in that kind of way where, you know, you'll be able to observe your inner reactions as well. So it works on a number of different levels. The way I'm teaching people is more about sorting out the nervous system and getting people so calm that they'll be unbothered, like the, my favorite word. Um, but then if you bring mindfulness in it as well, it's like, a, it's like hitting you on two levels. You can really calm down the mind and body with a mantra. And if you do some mindfulness, then you get some deep insight into how your mind works, why you react that way, why other people are like they are. And suddenly, you know, you've got the whole package. So that's why I'm quite a big fan of, uh, a number of different styles because like i say they complement each other nicely yeah and they 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 grow into and sort of inform each other as well i would imagine you know within sort of like the context of buddhist meditation you start with um with shamatha which is you know basically mindfulness um calm abiding and then as you develop that then there you're into um insight you know insight uh, begins to develop and then there are, you know, sort of different systems that build off of that, um, the different Dzogchen and Mahamudra or, you know, um, the practices that are more working with mantras and visualizations and different deity practices. But yeah, those, those mindful, without that mindfulness and without that insight, 
um, it really isn't as uh, profound. And that's why, you know, we can start with those, um, you know, more core foundational practices. And like you're saying, you know, um, calming our nervous system, um, having a more regulated nervous system so that we're able to observe more rather than be being reactive to it. Um, I also like to, you know, highlight that, that that practice is, building our equanimity as well. Um, you know, I think that that's a skill that gets developed when one practices mindfulness and, and meditation is that equanimity to observe, you know, really that's just a different way of what we're saying is just observing what's happening and being able to hold it without being reactive to it or um, it affecting us in, um, you know, an emotional way. So yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful to talk with you and, you know, I, I feel like there's so much similarity between what we're talking about, even though we're coming at it from these different uh, traditions. Um, like you said, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful to find those commonalities and those, those common threads. Mm, no, I completely agree. So for example, based on what you just said, in the way I'm teaching people to build equanimity, it's, you're kind of learning how to be disinterested in thoughts. So you're using the mantra in a very specific way, which is not concentrating on it, but using it effortlessly. And then with everything else, you just learn how to be with the mantra and disinterested in everything else. And that works quite nicely when you're not meditating in your normal life, thoughts, feelings, emotions come that could bother you, but you've learned how to be disinterested, how to just let it come and go. Um, and in mindfulness, you build equanimity in a slightly different way. I mean, you can do it that way, but also I like in mindfulness practice, you can build equanimity by having a clear experience of what's coming and going without getting dragged into what it means. So you can recognize things for what they are, thoughts, feelings, and emotions without getting carried into the various stories and meanings that they carry <laughs> into your mind yeah. system. Um, and again, it all just complements each other sort of quite nicely. I found mindfulness quite hard at first because it just felt like I was getting washed away with whatever came up. And then, so I had to learn how to be disinterested um, and learn how to calm myself down with mantra. And then once I did that, the whole world of other meditation practices opened up to me because it just seemed so easy to go from that place. Also having a calm nervous system has some other interesting side effects which i didn't expect because i was very anti-spirituality at the beginning of all this journey <laughs> and then when i learned how to get really really calm and really really still i started to have these experiences which i just couldn't explain which were feelings of being very very connected to other people and feeling very loving towards people who I didn't know and things like that. And I had no idea what to make of these experiences because I just had no framework for it whatsoever. I just wanted meditation to help me sleep. And so that's also when I started to do some research into you know, what's actually happening to me here. And of course it all makes sense once you see people have been going through these processes for thousands of years and there's names for them and there's maps for them and all the rest of it. And you're like, oh, okay, I'm here on the map. That makes sense now. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a very 
interesting and intricate journey, that's for sure. Yeah, I love that. And I, I can totally relate. You know, it's like, what, what the heck is happening to me? Um, and there's a certain, and again, like t- we were talking about it earlier in the conversation, there's a difference between being told something or like, hey, this, this could happen to you and experiencing it yourself. When you're experiencing it yourself, you're there, you know, like, yeah, there's a certain amount of questioning or what's happening to me right now, but it's undeniable that there's something happening, (laughs) (laughs) you know, as opposed to uh, going to church or a temple and and the priest is, you know, a rabbi or whatever is telling you about uh, what's going to happen or you're reading about, you know, connecting to the divine in this particular way. Um, without having that direct experience yourself. Um, and then, yeah, you know, picking up a book or working with a teacher and I, I have this burning question, like I'm ex- I, I had this experience and it was so intense and what do I do with that and what does it mean? And it's like, oh yeah, that's on page 32, you know, just right here. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Yeah, really, really, really appreciate that, um, that, that share. Um, I was wondering if, you know, we've, we've been talking a lot about meditation. I was wondering if you would be open to offering uh, a brief practice to the, the folks that are on the live and people listening later, um, maybe something along the line of, you know, five to 10 minutes yeah. that, that we could follow along with. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'd love to, yeah. Awesome. Okay, okay. This is fun. I didn't know we were going to do this. Good. Um, So, just take a comfortable seat. And whenever you're ready, you can gently close your eyes. And we will start by taking a big deep breath in through the nostrils. And out through the mouth. And just allow the breath to settle and breathe in a natural way. You don't breathe, the body breathes. So let the breath find a natural rhythm. And now just become aware of what you can see. Your eyes are closed, but you'll still have an experience of seeing. What is that experience actually like? You don't have to focus or concentrate. Just be aware of the experience of seeing. There may be colors, there may be images, there may be light coming through your eyelids. Or if there's nothing, a blank void, that's also an experience of seeing. So just allow yourself to be absorbed in whatever this is for you in this moment, the experience of seeing.
And the attitude here is you don't want more of it. You don't want less of it. It just is what it is. And you just observe. And if the mind is wandering, you can just use the label C very gently just to keep you on track. C. C. This is called your mental screen. It's like there's a screen in your mind and you're watching it. Okay, now you can let that go and tune into the experience of hearing. It's the same thing. You can just be aware of hearing, the experience of hearing. You don't need to focus or concentrate, just be aware of what you can hear. You might hear sounds outside of yourself, such as things in the room or in the street outside, or my voice. That's an experience of hearing. Or you might hear your own inner voice talking about this practice or something else. That is also an experience of hearing, even though it comes from your mind. So just tune in now to the experience of hearing and you can use the label here very gently to keep you on track. Here. Here.
now you can let that go. And become aware of what you can feel. There'll be feeling sensations arising in the body. You might feel the position of your feet on the floor, your hands in the lap, aches and pains. All you have to do is just become aware, gently aware of what you can feel and let your mind drift from one sensation to the next. But it's not only sensations that we feel, we also feel emotions. So there may be some emotions coming up, nervousness in the belly or feeling of contentment in the heart area or any number of other emotions may be coming up. You can also soak your awareness into those things too. Those are also a feeling experience. So let your mind drift between various different sensations or emotions. And when you land on one, just for a second, just soak your awareness into it until it feels like you can move on to the next one. There's no rules to this. You might feel your feet one minute and then, then the hands, then something in the lips. You can just move around and pay close attention to the natural flow of the mind as it moves between sensations and emotions. If you want to keep your mind on these things without wondering, you can use the label feel. Feel. Feel.
Okay, now you can let that go, but just keep your eyes closed. And I want you to know that you can track any and all experience that is arising by using those three labels, see, hear, and feel. So you can sit in meditation now, anytime, just see what comes up, and then all you have to do is label it. If it's a seeing experience, then use the label C. If it's noises outside the room or talk in your mind, it's here. And if it's any kind of emotion or physical sensation, you can say feel to yourself, very gently in your mind. And that's how you sit in meditation and witness your inner experience. Whenever you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. There we go. It was a quick one. <laughs> so great. I always love, um, I love meditating with, with people, you know, like uh, it's, it seems strange to my like western scientific mind but i meditate every day and i can tell the difference between me sitting in my room by myself and what there's like about 40 people on this uh live right now that we're all practicing together and there's an energetic difference and that's just a it's just a wonderful feeling well yeah i don't want to get too kooky and woo woo but um, if consciousness really does exist outside of space-time, then distance wouldn't make any difference. <laughs> right. No, you can get as kooky and woo-woo as you want, you know? <laughs> well, you know, if we're going to talk about what the, uh, the ancient yogis of India believed, yeah. But I, I don't really mind what anyone believes, you know, I just like it, think it's fun to play with these concepts. Sure, sure. Well, thank you so much for offering that. It was quite lovely. I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would normally take a good half an hour to go through that process. So if anybody does want to experiment with that, feel free to stay much longer with each of the different uh, see, hear, feel categories. Oh, I think I've lost you on the microphone. Oh, you're... Uh, can you hear me now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can hear you. yeah. Is that a practice that you would give to like new students? Um, I only teach that sometimes. So when, most of the time I teach mantra, but right. I find that particular practice is one of my personal favorites. Um, okay. I learned it from somebody called Shinzen Young. And, <laughs> and um, I, I teach it like as and when it sort of comes up or when people are interested. Um, it's great for a one-off though, because you can teach that very quickly. Whereas with mantra, I need a few days to get people yeah. into it. That, that's incredible that you said that. Um, Cause literally as we were meditating, that was one of the thoughts that came up. I was like, this is really reminding me of a Shenzhen Young practice. <laughs> 
yeah, he's one of my heroes in the mindfulness world. So that's where I've got that from. Yeah, um, I'm, I, I can't say that I'm super familiar with him, but um, I kind of found him through Jeff Warren. And um, in November of last year, I had shoulder surgery. And so I was pretty much just sitting around all day. And I had a lot more time to meditate than I you know, normally do. And there's a meditation that he has um, on one of the apps that I use that really focuses on dealing with physical discomfort. And here I was healing from this shoulder surgery. And I thought, well, this is the perfect opportunity to, to practice that. And so, yeah, I did, I did that particular practice, which was very similar to what you just shared and took us through um, pretty much every day, at least once. Um, and it was super, super helpful. Yes, very powerful practice. It's really good for stressful situations as well, because when all of those things, when you're in a stressful situation, all three of those categories will possibly kick off. You might see some um, old memories or some angry images in your mind. You might have, um, you hear the angry voice, your inner critic might start speaking and kicking off and you'll say, oh, this isn't fair. Why is this happening to me? Oh, I'm going to do this. All that starts coming. And you can suddenly recognize, oh, hang on a minute. I'm just having a hearing experience. I can right. listen to this voice. I don't need to quiet it down, but I can witness this voice. Um, yeah. Similarly, feeling it along with that inner critic or that angry voice will come emotions in the body, you know, but you can then recognize, oh, the feeling experience. So you can very quickly deconstruct the experience that's arising and then it loses its power. So I, I love that particular practice, yeah. Yeah, thank you again for offering it. And I had one more question before I let you go and I do appreciate this conversation. I feel like we could go for a lot longer, um, but I also wanna be respectful of your time. Um, in terms of teaching um, you know, mantra, within meditation, does everybody use the same mantra or is the mantra specific to the, the individual? How does that work? Uh, it's different ways of doing it depending on the teacher. So um, a lot of teachers will give a different mantra to each individual. They won't be specific to the individual. So it's not like everyone has their own personal mantra they are the, there's a list of mantras and they're given out based on various different uh, reasons and requirements but when i teach it i teach my classes over zoom and you know you've got 20 people on there so we all use a universal mantra so it makes it a little bit easier and i'm very happy with that mantra for every person pretty much um and it still works exactly the same as giving a personal one so it depends how people want to approach it, but I use one mantra for everybody who's on the call. Because it's, yeah, it's, more, it's more about how to use the mantra than mm. what the mantra is, yeah. Sure. Yeah, I was just curious, because, you know, again, comparing it to, like, the use of, of mantra in, in the Buddhist traditions, you know, there's hundreds of different deity practices, and each one of them has a specific mantra that you use, with a visualization and, and a sadhana practice, you know, a, a more ritualized practice around it. Um, but it's somewhat to do with like, yeah, your, your teacher could say, this is the practice that I think you should do. 
um, or, you know, also connecting to certain aspects of that, of that deity, you know, like there's, if, if you're working on embodying more compassion or more purification or, you know, different, um, different skillful activity, you know, you, there are different deity practices that you would, you know, work with, um, in those cases. So I was just curious, you know, how, how it worked, um, in the, you know, within the lineage that you practice. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, that's, that's a good point. So I prefer not to go into that whole side of it at all. I say, look, just think of this mantra as a soothing sound with a vibrational quality. And then because you've got no concepts attached to the mantra, your mind can't really do much with it. So if I gave you the mantra chocolate, <laughs> you know, you'd be repeating it, you'd be thinking about chocolate, you'd be wanting chocolate, a whole cycle of clinging and craving would kick off, if you're anything like me anyway, or similarly with another word like sex. But if I give you just a soothing sound with no, no concepts attached, and I teach you how to use that in an effortless way, your mind can't do much with it, but it's still soothed by it. It's still charming enough to get the mind hooked and to let thoughts fall away but it's not so, it's not gonna give the mind like something, the mind can't make anything out of it. And so it's a very quick way to get yourself into a deeply relaxed and quiet place. But you use the mantra in such a way, you hold it so delicately that even the mantra can fall away as well. So this is why I say it's not concentration or focus. The idea isn't to get good at using a mantra it's to get good at using the mantra in an effortless way that you lose the mantra and everything else and yourself, <laughs> your sense of time, the sense of who you are. You can just surrender, surrender, surrender and let all of that go. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. No well, Jimmy, this has been a wonderful conversation and really enjoyed it. And like I said, I feel like uh, we could definitely talk longer and maybe we'll have to set up a part two at some point get a little deeper into this stuff. I'd be happy to. Yeah, it's been nice to chat to somebody who, who knows quite a bit about this. So we've got I go deeper than uh, I quite often can on these podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Geek out a little bit about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if uh, people want to work with you and learn more about your offerings and teachings, where, where should they go? Uh, most easiest place is follow me on Instagram that meditation guy, because I post, I try and post on there every day. Sometimes it's just me playing with my dog, but sometimes it's really detailed info about meditation. Um, the courses that I run, you can find on the website, delvedeep.com. And there's a thing on there where you can click and it says, join my email list. I send three emails a week and I try and make them really, really interesting really short, really to the point, but really interesting, usually stories or tips or science um, or something from my own experience. But I really put most of my best stuff there. So if people don't mind getting another email in their inbox, I work really hard to make those genuinely good. Um, but if people don't join that, it's fine. Usually most, some months later, it will pop up on my Instagram anyway. Um, so it's all good, <laughs> no pressure. But yeah, if you if anybody wants to join one of my courses, you'd find me on the website deltdeep.com. Awesome. Everybody should check that out, especially if you enjoyed today's practice and want to learn more about the uh, topics that we were discussing today. You know, there's so much to learn about meditation and 
um, it's just such a broad topic and um, don't think that you can go wrong learning from, from Jimmy. He's obviously very qualified and very learned and I really appreciated the conversation with him and felt like I learned quite a lot about different tradition that I'm not as familiar with, which is a pleasure for myself. Uh, it's been great. Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed chatting to you and learning about your side of it too. Yeah. And thank you to everybody that uh, was on the live and you know, followed along and joined in the practice. Um, really appreciate that. It really made uh, it special. And if you're following along on the replay, uh, you can enjoy that too. And, um, you know, just so happy to have you here. Um, if you're listening to the replay on Spotify or Apple, um, give the Vital Point podcast a review, a follow, so you can listen to more content uh, about different transformational practices, uh, hallucinogenics, psychedelic integration, cold exposure, breath work, meditation. We've got them all. So um, if you, today's show sparked your interest, go ahead and give us a follow. And there's a lot more content where this came from. So thanks again, Jimmy. Really, really appreciate it. And hope you enjoy your evening there in, uh, in England. And so nice to connect with you. And I'd love to do it again sometime. Thank you. Yeah, I would love to do it again too. Great to meet awesome. you. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone. Thanks for joining the Vital Points. And until next time, keep practicing. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for checking out another episode of the podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it and that you feel inspired to go and do some practice of your own. Remember that integration and practice is the vital point. Maybe this episode inspired you to add something new to your daily or regular practice, like meditation or breath work or you're ready to take that ice bath that you've been dreading, but you know is gonna be really good for you. Maybe you're curious to something that you've been called to try, you know, like working with a new teacher or facilitator or working with a psychedelic or plant medicine in whatever way is safe and legal for you where you live. Please reach out to me or to the guest through the links on the show page to learn more about what we talked about on this episode. Subscribe to the podcast and please leave us a review, which really helps the show, makes it visible to more people. And if you're finding the show valuable, please share it with a friend that would also be interested and uh, share it on your social media. Follow me at Blue Magic Alchemy on Instagram. That's all one word. And if you're interested in learning more about breathwork or you'd like support with self-development and transformational practice, reach out to me at bluemagicalchemy at gmail.com or Instagram to set up a discovery call for individual coaching sessions and my six-month transformational coaching container. Until next time, be well, keep practicing, because that's the vital point. Be well, my friends.